This morning, I'm going to talk with you about giving. And uh, I'm not going to talk about giving your time or giving your skills or your help or your abilities. I talk about giving those things most times I'm up here on Sunday. This morning in particular, I'm going to talk about giving money. Uh, If we believe, if each one of us here is ready to believe that everything we have comes from God, then we become people who are generous. And what I hope for this morning is that you will grow to become a person who is more generous. Wherever you do that, my hope is that this time together, this time thinking about uh, what we have, will encourage and equip you to be a person who goes out into the world wherever you are as a person who is more generous. And in particular, this morning I want to show you how we give when we accept that God has blessed us so that we can bless others. Uh, Our focus will be essentially the quality and the character of generosity that follows from faith. Now, before I get into that, I want to clear the table by addressing some of the reasons that we have not to talk about money. You know that there are some good reasons not to talk about money in public. Do you know that? Uh, For instance, it will feel to many as if it's bad manners to talk about money Uh, In public, money is one of the few remaining taboo subjects in public discourse. Uh, Talking about money is perceived as impolite. You know this. If you went to someone's house for a dinner party and you said to them, what a lovely home you have, how much did it cost? That would feel awkward, right? What did you earn last year? And what's the bonus you're expecting in this coming year? You would only do that if you were impolite. And so that's one reason to be hesitant. A second, which pertains especially to church, is that we have bad stories or experiences. We have an ugly history in religious communities broadly about handling finances in a way that's not trustworthy. There are plenty of religious figures who offer bad examples, and and we do not want to be associated with folks like that. You may know some stories, stories of fraud or financial mismanagement, embezzlement in small churches, large churches in which pastors purchase expensive items for themselves and then justify it by referring to God's will. These kinds of abuses, they, they make it feel awkward for people in my position to talk about giving, inclining me by whatever means necessary to distance myself from them, even if it means not talking about money in churches. There's a third reason, which even if that history wasn't there, gives us reason to pause when talking about money and giving especially, and that's the reason of awkwardness. Talking about money in church tends to create feelings of guilt in many, many people. Research has shown this, that most people who come to church on Sunday want to give more than they do, but feel that they don't have enough, and so they give less than they wish they could, and so when you talk about giving, those people feel guilty. And I want you to know this about me. I don't want to make anybody feel guilty. I don't, I like you too much for that. I want to encourage you and build you up. I want you to feel inspired and I want you to feel loved by God. And so there's a temptation in me not to burden you when we come together here for worship on Sundays by talking about money. Bad manners, Bad history and bad feelings, all three are reasons not to, but then why would we nonetheless? And here's the fact, even though on one hand, 
we have reasons not to. There are actually better reasons, on the other hand, to talk about giving money when we're together as we will this morning. I want to share four. First, first of all, there is a pragmatic reason to talk about it. The church that we're in right here needs money to go on operating. And the money we have comes from people who choose to give here at Renaissance. Many of you in this room this morning need to be celebrated for the intense and extravagant generosity that has made it so we can gather every Sunday morning. It's magnificent how this church has been funded. But listen now, as our church grows and expands, our uh, expenses also increase. And the only way to manage that growth responsibly, and we want to be responsible, is if giving also grows. Pragmatic is the first reason. The second reason is scriptural. And if you were here last week, you heard Jared say that the subject of money and possessions and giving to the community of faith is actually treated an awful lot in the Bible. And as a preacher, I might be tempted to decide what to preach on based on what I like best or what my personality inclines me to. But I want to tell you that my commitment as a pastor here is as much as I can to let the themes and the subject matter in my teaching be guided by the Bible. And since the Bible talks about giving an awful lot, I also should talk about giving an awful lot. Second reason, scriptural. Here's the third, and this one pertains to you even if you came in this morning and you're thinking, I don't want to give, I won't give it at church, I'm not even sure I believe in this. The third reason is actually spiritual. And I tell you, it has to do with you for this reason. There is almost nothing that has the power to twist and bend your spirit in the wrong direction as the power of money. And God actually made us to have resources and power to do good in the world. And money is one of the ways we can do an awful lot of good in the world. And the truth about you is God made you to grow spiritually as you follow Jesus. And if you do not talk about money, you will not grow as a follower of Jesus. If you avoid that subject of giving and being generous, you will end up avoiding growing as a follower of Jesus. And so that's the third reason I want to talk about it. It has to do with your calling as a spiritual being to grow more and more free on the one hand from the tyranny of possessions and then on the other hand, more and more potent as a, an agent of good in the world with what you have. Second, a third reason there is spiritual. And now the fourth, I saved this one for last because in my mind it's the most important. The fourth reason is theological. It is to say that what Christians believe about God has definite implications for our money. And so if we're going to learn about God, we can't avoid talking about possessions for this reason. God is the creator and the possessor of all that is in the world. We believe and behave as if we ourselves have our own things, but ultimately, deep down at the truth of all reality, there stands behind everything that exists a purely benevolent and good creator who has given into our hands literally everything that we have and believe is our own. I want to direct your attention here to a few passages in Scripture which make this plain. The first comes in the book of Psalms. Psalm 24, 1 reads as follows. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Everything on planet earth belongs to God. All of our possessions are really his possessions. And that means that everything we have is best understood as if it's on loan from him rather than our own. And our responsibility is to manage what is his and has been put into our hands. 
1 Corinthians 4.7 adds a sentiment that carries this idea a little further forward. What do you have, Paul wrote, that you have not received? For him, it's a hypothetical question. He expects that the answer will be nothing because he knows that the folks he addresses believe that everything they possess has come from God. Everything, even the money that you have worked really hard to earn ultimately comes from God. Now, maybe you're thinking, Christian, if you knew who I worked for and who paid me, you'd never say, I received my money from God. The most ungodly operation person you can imagine. Maybe, maybe penultimately, your money comes from a different place, but what matters is that Christians are invited to believe that ultimately everything comes from the hand of the benevolent Father who has given us literally every good thing. In James 1.17, here's what uh, the author writes. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. James, thinking of this same idea, addressing his community in which there were very wealthy people as well as people who did not have enough even to make ends meet and who would have received a message on Sunday about giving as one more burden. And by the way, that's our congregation too. And I want you to understand that. That's who we are. Thinking of God, James addressed them all and told them, if you are going to follow Jesus, you are bound theologically by the Christian understanding of who God is to view every bit of money that you have as if it is a trust from God. And so, if these things are true about God, if these reasons are before us this morning, I'm responsible and so are you for talking frankly about how we use what God has put in our hands because he is the ultimate source and possessor of all we have. We are bound to seek a faithful use of even the money that we have. And that brings us to the subject of giving. And so what I want to do this morning is somewhat narrow. I want to answer this particular question for you, and not just for you as an individual, but for us as a church. It's this question, what kind of giver would you become, or would we become, if we took it to heart that every blessing we have has been given to us by God so that we can bless others? And I think theologically, that's the right way to think about it. If you're a visitor here this morning and you've just come to check out this church because you forgot to move your clock forward, who does it anymore? Our phones do it, right? But let's say you didn't want to go to your church because you were embarrassed. You should learn about giving today and go back to your church and be generous at your church. Or if you're not a church person, you're just checking it out, just pay attention to what Christians are meant to believe and, and how we're meant to move forward and see what it might be like for you to learn. But I want to show those of us who are ready to accept in faith that all we have is the trust from God, how we would give if that were our faith. And there's four very simple, straightforward answers to that question. And they're going to appear here. The first is that the person who believes that all she has comes from God will become a person who gives freely. That's number one. For her, giving will feel less like something she has to do and more like something she gets to do. Like returning something to where it belongs rather than losing something she desperately wants to hold on to. For her, giving will not, giving will not be a burden but a pleasure that is undertaken freely. Use your imagine, imagination for a moment and, and picture this. You work for an organization whose goals and mission is benevolent through and through. The, the group that you work with is tasked with 
doing things that transform the lives of people who are in need so that after your work is done with them, they would say, how did I become so fortunate to, to receive this blessing? Can you imagine you worked at a company like that? Does anybody here work for an organization like that? One person in the back. Are you taking resumes? Okay, imagine your boss in that organization says, hey, listen, I've got a new project for you. It's to do this massively good thing. And you say, what's the budget? And your boss says, whatever you need to spend. Don't even think twice. Every resource that you need, it's yours. Just go and spend it all in that good endeavor. Can you imagine how exciting it would be to go into work for that organization? Here, here we're meant to, to see that what it is like when we believe that everything we have from God would be like working for someone like that. To give would be a joyful affair which brings that kind of excitement and, 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 and it would be a gift like that every day because God invites us when we see what he's trusted us with to give freely. I want you to look at these words from the Apostle Paul written to the ancient church in Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. Each of you, Paul wrote, must give as you have made up your mind not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There is a theological claim about God, and that is that God intends our giving to be free, free of things like hesitation, free of reluctance, free of guilt. Rather, uh, he wants our giving to be done confidently and joyfully and cheerfully. Not because you feel threatened or compelled, but rather trusting that God himself has freed you so that you can return to God what belongs to him in such a way that you are in entirely and completely joyful in the process. Now, imagine for a moment that you're the recipient of this letter in Corinth, and do you think that maybe there was one or two people who heard this letter the first time who were actually stressed about money? Because unlike other people in the community at Corinth, they actually didn't have enough even to survive and meet their basic needs. Do you think that there were some folks like that? I'll tell you there definitely were. Do you think there are some folks like that this morning in this, in this room? I promise you there are. Okay, there's a mix. There was a mix back in Corinth, as there is a mix here. And, and, and the fact is, today, right now, according to research, uh, the, 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 the stats say that in a church like this, with people like you who've come together, many, not just some, but many of you will have come here this morning stressed about not having enough, and you will come also with the feeling that you wish you could give more. And so it's inevitable that when the pastor starts to talk about giving, you wish you could give more than you do, but in fact, you can't, and so the whole subject just feels bad. A few years back, a sociologist from Notre Dame put a research team together, and their goal was to study the patterns of giving in the United States of America right now. And what they discovered is that amongst people who go to church at least three times a month, so who are seriously involved in communities of faith, what they found is that on average, that cohort of people gives less than 1% of their income away, either to churches or to charitable organizations all over the globe. Uh, after uh, sharing this stat, the authors of the book they put together a list of what could happen if Christians gave 10% of what they had away. And it takes nine pages of bullet points to say all of the great things that could be done with that much money. But then the authors ask, why is it, why is it that American Christians give so little? The answer is not because they don't want to give. The answer is because they can't. And they dug in 
and tried to say, why do they give so little? The book that they wrote is called Passing the Plate, Why American Christians Give So Little. Okay, it's a play on passing the plate, right? Do you think we should start passing the plate here at Renaissance Church? <laughs> Every time I go to a church as a visitor and the plate comes in front of me, I'm, I'm a pastor, I feel guilty, right? What they say is the reason American Christians don't put more in is because this is what happens. They tend each and every month to decide on how to spend the money they have on all the things that feel like pressing needs and then they adjust their expenses up to their income so that at the end of every month, even though they want to give more at the church, they can't because all the other expenses have come first and that results in guilt on Sundays like today. And listen now, we just saw it from the Bible. If you give out of guilt, you're not giving as you should. And in fact, you'll end up giving... Uh, rather than freely, under compulsion, you will give less than you want and you'll also feel worse than God means you to. And so the authors of this book, they suggest a very simple solution. And for anyone who's in here this morning and you're in that place where you think, I wish I could give more, but I just can't, their solution is as follows. Decide first on the percentage of your income that you're going to give away. Make that decision before you start deciding what else you can spend on. And then after that, let the rest of your subsequent expenses adjust accordingly, and then you'll have money to give away. Look again at Paul's words, this one phrase here, give as you have made up your mind. That's the solution. Decide first on what you will give, and then after that, let that decision have implications for what you do with the rest of your money. Of course, the authors in this book interviewed thousands of people and understood most people would say, well, I can't give any percentage away. And what they found is after a little bit of digging, most people can discover some current expenditures that they could reduce. And if, this is what they said, if American Christians all did this and then increased their giving to 2%, it would literally double how much was given in the United States of America to charitable efforts and to churches, making them much, much stronger. And their suggestion was, most of us in this country can actually live on 98% of what we have rather than 100%. And then charitable income goes up by 100%. Giving freely, this is the first quality that giving takes if we genuinely believe that everything comes from God. It comes when you make up your mind not to spend more on yourself every time your income goes up. But instead, deciding first what to give and then over time, growing to give more and more freely. All right, let's consider a second quality if we give out of faith. Here's a second one. The person who gives freely out of that kind of faithful decision will become a person who gives reliably. Uh, it stands to reason that if your income is ultimately from God, again, it, don't think of your employer, okay? Think of the creator who gave you the abilities to have the job that you do. And if, if your income ultimately comes from him and it comes to you reliably, you get paid on a regular uh, basis, it stands to reason that you would develop a pattern of giving back to God with the same kind of reliability. Regularly directing money toward, listen now, toward benevolent and helping and healing and faith-building projects that advance God's mission in the world which God loves. Let's take another look at a bit of Paul's instructions to the, uh, the church in Corinth in the first letter he wrote to them. 
Okay, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Here's how Paul writes. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, you should follow the directions I gave to the churches of Galatia. On the first day of every week, that's Sunday in their calendar, each of you is to put aside and save whatever extra you earn so that collections need not be taken when I come. Okay, Paul was away from that church. He would be coming to gather a collection and he told them, be reliable and disciplined every time you gather on the first day, Sunday, to set aside some extra of what you earn. Let's come back again to the person who's hearing me right now and literally can't even afford their own expenditures. And some of you are in that place. You are not in a position where you are ready or, or even required to give. You should receive. And who you should receive from is those of us in the church who have more than enough. And in a community like this, there are both sides. And those of you who are in that very painful place, God wants you to come forward and become secure in your own finances, just as he wanted that in Corinth. Why? So that you also could become a person who begins to give reliably. It is God's expectation for each and every person then and now to become strong enough to have some to give regularly. Now listen to this. The money that Paul was gathering was not for Paul. And if there's a religious figure who says, more for me, beware. But the money from, from uh, what Paul was asking for was for a collection in a different church. It was in the church in Jerusalem. It wasn't even for the people in Corinth. And the reason he wanted money for the people in Jerusalem is because ministry, service in God's name costs money. And it costs more or less depending on where the church is and what the specific mission of that church happens to be. In Jerusalem at the time, there were lots of poor widows who came to that city hoping for a handout. And if you follow Jesus, you should help people who are hungry. And so Paul gathered money from other churches to help that mission of feeding those widows. The Christians there in Jerusalem didn't have enough to cover that. And so the Christians in Corinth, which is a wealthy port a town that specialized in jewelry and in fashion, they had more than enough. So Paul said to them, give reliably. Now let's talk about our situation here at Renaissance Church right now in 2019. As I've said, some of us are stressed financially. Others of us are absolutely magnificently blessed financially. If not for that fact, we would not have the church which we currently have right now. But listen, like in Corinth, all of us together, with our abundance on the one hand and our need on the other, all of us, Renaissance Church, we have everything that God has entrusted us with to do a great mission here where he's placed us. And if we're ready to trust that it comes from him, then all of us individually and this church as a church should do what comes next, which is to begin the practice of, of becoming reliable givers who give with a routine. And now I am, I'm saying this directly to all of you. You, if you already do give regularly at the church, well done, keep it up. If you don't, you should start doing it right now. Uh, again, if, if you're not the person uh, who comes to this church, go back to your church and start giving there regularly, okay? If, if you're not of faith yet, then wait. But if you're a person who's ready to trust, this, uh, trust that everything comes from God, here's what you should do. You should start where you can, make a decision, and start giving away that much to the church each and every time uh, you can. If it's 2% for you, start there and then build uh, from that place. Let me tell you, when I first got to Renaissance Church, the church was in a difficult place financially. 
Okay, congregational giving, this is about three and a half years ago at Renaissance, was far lower than ministry spending was at the church. The way the church made that up is one really benevolent family. Uh, they made up the difference each year. Since then, they've moved to another country. And so early on as a pastor, I had some decisions to make. What should we do if we don't have enough to meet our own uh, budgetary needs. If you are in that position this morning where you're thinking, what should I do? I don't have enough. This is what I did. I reached out to a pastor in California who pastors a church that's 10 times bigger than this one and who has lots of experience. I told him our situation and I said, would you give me some guidance for what to do to help giving go up so we can match our spending? And his first question to me was, Christian, how much does your church currently give away to other ministries and missions outside of your church? And at that time, I said, nothing. We can't put that in our budget. We don't have enough to meet our own spending. And his response to me was very clear. He said, you should not expect to see giving to your church to increase until giving by your church increases. I was just like you. He said, lead where you are asking other people to follow. And so I sat down with the elders three years back of this church, and I told them this, and they agreed with me to get us on a path to the place where we, we decided this as, as, a, as a group. We will give 10% of everything that's given to this church to efforts and endeavors that are not about our church at all. And we're not going to wait until we have enough to do that. We'll start small now and we'll give 2% in this first year. And then after that, it will be four and then it will be six. And that's where we are right now. Right now at Renaissance Church, 6% of everything that's given to the general fund is given through Rencares to benevolence outside of the church. Next year it will be eight. And then the year after that, we'll get to 10%. And, and that's what God has called us to do. Now, if you are already giving a part of your income to this church, I would invite you to, like this church is doing, to consider continuing to increase it for the sake of good in the world. If you've never given at all, start doing that here. What will happen if you do is when we get to the place where our church is giving away 10%, we'll have to answer this question. Gee, we have a lot more than 10% surplus. Where do we get to give it away? And that's what God wants. The communities which have an abundance to be abundantly uh, abundantly generous. And that, that brings us to the third quality of what giving, what giving looks like when you begin to trust that everything you've got is from God for blessing others. And that is your giving becomes extravagant. You give extravagantly. Uh, as we grow to trust God more, our giving should move uh, from regularity, reliability, to extravagance, the kind of generosity that enables significant expansion of God's work through the upbuilding of his kingdom. If you are one of those people who this morning is able to give a lot, you have so much, and there are people among us here, you have so much, and you want to give in a way that makes a difference in the world, and give responsibly as you should. If you're one of those, listen to these words. These, this is from a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, teaching him how to speak to his communities of faith. He wrote this, as for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Uh, that is, if you have enough to build wealth, to set it aside and to see it growing, first of all, don't trust in your wealth because wealth is fleeting. Do not put your hope there, uh, he said. Instead, put it in God 
who's trustworthy through and through, who is the one who gives us the ability to produce wealth and gives us every good thing we have. And you see it there. He gives it even for our enjoyment. And that is enjoy things in life which uh, your money can acquire for you. Do that. But listen now, don't miss the greatest enjoyment that the giver of all good gifts has for you, which is the enjoyment actually not of spending your money on yourself, but of being extravagantly generous to others. Some of you have been extravagantly generous and you know the unique joy that comes from that. Others of you have never had enough to do that, but haven't you ever wished that you could win the lottery so you'd give that favorite waitress at the diner where you eat a $10,000 tip? Has anyone else ever thought about that? Am I the only one who daydreams about that kind of stuff? I don't even play the lottery, but if I did, I would want to do that, wouldn't you? That's why Paul goes on to add this in Timothy. Look, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, and ready to share. Here, he's teaching that the best riches that anyone can pursue is the richness of generosity. And and if you have just a little, you still can be extravagantly generous for you. And, And if you do, then you'll be giving in the way that a person gives when they start to trust that everything comes from God. If you have an enormous amount and you can be extravagantly generous, do that and bless the kingdom of God with the resources that it requires to expand its ministry. I'll tell you, I have been um, a witness to what this looks like as a pastor over these years, and there's nothing like it when someone gets to be extravagantly generous. When I was a pastor in Red Bank, I remember I came in to my office one Monday morning, and there on my desk was a note from our administrator, and it said, Christian, this was uh, given on Sunday along with a gift, and it was a little post-it note. I picked it up, and it said, please direct the elders to use this in whatever way furthers the mission of your church. You are doing good work. Craig B. And I'd never met Craig B. because that was the first Sunday he'd ever come to our church. But the gift he gave was 150 shares of Apple stock, which then was about $15,000. I met him for coffee about two weeks later. And he said to me, Christian, I just came as a visitor, but I really believe in what you guys are doing, and I want to support your mission. It is my pleasure to be generous like that. He told me his story, and then he said, if you want to tell my story to any other people you ever talk to, do it if you think it will inspire similar acts of extravagant giving. Craig was 19 years old when he got his girlfriend pregnant at the church where they both went. When they discovered this, His first inclination was to run away from everything. But then he had this sense in his mind that God wanted him to do the right thing in every way that he could. And so he married her. They got their family going. He got a job. And he decided right away that no matter what, he would always give away 10% of his income. And his job was working in the mailroom at a commercial real estate firm in New York City. He traveled in every day. He came home, he worked long hours, and no matter what, he always gave 10%. Craig looked at me and said, Christian, the only reason that I am uh, a managing director at the firm where I work now is because all these years long, I've never changed my decision to always give away 10% of what I've been given. There's no way my skills warranted this or my abilities, it's because God has blessed me abundantly so I can bless others abundantly. I actually got the chance to go in and meet him in his office on the 60th floor of the corner office looking out over Manhattan, and he gives away a lot more than 10% right now. 
Craig lives in the same house that he and his wife bought right after they got married. He drives the same car. He dresses in the same clothing. But that dude earns a lot of money, and he gives away a lot. And he is an extravagant giver. Now, uh, what, if, what if we and you uh, gave extravagantly like that? Uh, I say we, first of all, because the church that we're a part of will, as we continue to grow, have to make decisions. Do we use everything that's given here for ourselves? Or do we, like an extravagant giver, say, how can we bless other churches, other missions in the world, other people who need it, other people here? How can we do that? We either can do that or keep it all for us. What if you yourself become a person who chooses to give freely and then begins to give reliably and even extravagantly? What, what next? The, the fourth quality that anyone who gives in these manners should, uh, should undertake is this, that if we do these other ways of giving, we should give expectantly. And that's the fourth quality of giving that follows the person who trusts that everything comes from God. With a joyful anticipation, the person who gives freely, reliably, extravagantly should expect these two things. First, that God will do great things with the money that has been put toward his business, if we can use that term. And then secondly, as we give more, God will increase our responsibilities proportionately. There's a story which Jesus told to his followers. Jared spoke about that story last week, which makes it plain. Uh, The parable of the talents tells of a master who entrusts his servants with an awful lot of resources. Two of them go out, invest the master's resource. They, They use it freely and reliably and extravagantly. And then when the master returns, both of them have doubled what was given. They return it to the master, and here's what he says to both of them. Look at the words from Matthew 25, uh, verses 21 and 23. Well done, the master says, good and trustworthy servant. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. There we see the two expectations that anyone who gives extravagantly should have. First, whatever is given to the building of the kingdom, will have, because of God's trustworthiness, a 100% return on investment. God takes what we give, and he does amazing things with it. And some of you have had the joy of seeing this firsthand in going to Guatemala, or being involved in Ren Cares, or seeing how our finances have blessed other people, or even seeing how folks who are far away from God have come close to him because of the ministry of this church. And, and the second expectation that we see here is that not only does the money go far, but the master rewards those who are extravagant with greater responsibility in the future. And this also should teach us that as we give extravagantly, God will give us more, not for ourselves, but so we can be even more generous in the future. And this now is pertinent for Renaissance Church based on what we've seen in the past and should set our expectations for the future. Two years ago, when we first, as a church, ran with Team World Vision, uh, we raised around $40,000 for that mission. Last year, it was $73,000. Last Sunday, Jared reported it was one hundred and nine, and since then, it's gone up to $111,000. Do you see the pattern of from great to greater? That's something to, to, to rejoice over. Uh, Two years ago, this church contributed $28,000 from our general giving to uh, Ren Cares 
uh, efforts. Last year, it was 50,000. This year, it will be 6% of whatever is given in this year. And the pattern is clear. Expanding generosity to Renaissance Church will lead to expanding generosity from Renaissance Church. God has done great things with the money that you have given, and God is going to give us more to do as we are faithful with what we have. And so, every one of us individually... And this church altogether should continue to give with the expectation that God is going to continue to do greater things with what we give and give us more as we grow in faithfulness. I want to see all four of those qualities up now, and I want to just tie this up as simply as I can. When we believe that all we have comes from God and has been given to us to take part in his good work in the world, then we will give freely and reliably and extravagantly and expectantly. Uh, friends, let's pray together that God will enable us to do this. God, we thank you for every blessing you've given to us. And this morning we ask very simply that in our hearts you would grow a confidence in you that would enable us to become people who give. God, for those of us who are gathered here this morning and who are anxious and stressed because we simply do not have enough, I pray that they would be able to uh, envision placing themselves into your hands and that you would give them a sense of freedom from anxiety and stress. And, and you would begin to help them see how you will provide for what they need. If they've got the wrong idea about what they need, help them let go of those ideas and, and rather cling to you. And then please give them exactly what they truly need. And then for those of us who have enough and more than enough even, build in us a commitment to generosity that will help us grow spiritually, that will match who you are theologically, who you are as our God who has given all things, and that will enable this church to go even further in generosity and build your kingdom magnificently. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.